Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasida from NHS Somerset, and I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and NHS Somerset Clinical Lead for Mental Health. And we're really pleased today. We're going to be talking about COPD and health inequalities, and we're really pleased to welcome Emma Savage and Wendy Coward. Welcome, Wendy, and welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thank you. Emma, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, so, Andrew, I, I work in for Somerset um, Integrated Care Board as the Deputy Director of Quality and Improvement. So I lead on patient safety, um, quality improvement, health inequalities and um, and infection prevention control, actually. So um, so this this my interest, I'm absolutely passionate about health inequalities. I have a son actually with learning difficulty. So I've been exposed um, quite early on to some of the challenges a person with a learning disability can have. And also just the impact um, we can have about really understanding and working much more closely with our communities that may have perhaps less of the opportunities that we've had around education, housing and employment opportunities. So I'm 33 years in the NHS. I originally uh, worked as a podiatrist. I still work as a podiatrist clinically just one day a month at Bridgewater Community Hospital as well. Thank you. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. And Wendy, tell us about yourself, please. Well, I'm new to the area. I've moved back into Somerset, which I'm loving. I am the coordinator for the COPD project in Bridgewater. Um, I started late December last year, and the project really got off the ground in January, February time, if I'm right, Emma. Yep, that's right. January, I think we started, didn't we, Wendy? Mm. Excellent. So I'm going to ask Peter first. Peter, what is COPD, please? Okay, well, let's um, unpack it a bit, shall we? So it's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, It used to be called uh, chronic bronchitis, didn't it? And Mm. it's really a a difficulty in breathing caused by, usually by damage. Smoking is the commonest cause for it, but any sort of um, atmospheric pollution, uh, even previous infections can cause damage to the lungs. And it's a really upsetting thing to have because you're struggling for breath. And I've got personal experience of this, having had COVID right at the beginning of the first wave and my oxygen levels went down to 55 percent. And I know how unpleasant it is to be not able to breathe properly. So it's a a condition that can be helped with medication, particularly inhalers, but not cured by it. And as you say, it's it's a, a damage to the lung substance rather than to the airways. So the gas transfer just doesn't happen as well because there's not as much area to transfer over and and dust and smoke and other things cause this that's right unlike asthma where it's a narrowing of the airways and and we've got things that help a little bit by opening up the airways but they're not able to tackle that underlying uh damage so it is a progressive condition once you've got it lovely thank you so before we come on to what's happening locally emma what are health inequalities and why are they important please Oh, yeah. So we so we know that um, uh, people who have um, health inequalities tend to use our health and care services more than perhaps somebody that 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 doesn't. Um, it's also been defined as um, the, the perhaps the 20 percent the of our population in Somerset that are most deprived. 
Um, and obviously that's based on a, um, trying to remember what the IMD stands for, the index of mul multiple um, deprivation. So there's a recognized score that we use to apply those, um, to get those figures. But actually also in Somerset, um, what's also really important to us in terms of health inequalities is our coastal communities as well. So we know that um, if you live in coastal communities, you're often quite reliant on the income from tourism. And obviously the winter months can be quite hard. Some of those businesses have been quite affected by COVID um, as well. So health inequalities is generally reaching out to our populations that um, where we have higher unemployment, we have um, uh, potentially um, not great provision for um, uh, affordable housing, um, as well as um, potentially lack of education, education opportunities. And I think a lot of people outside Somerset think of it as a, a very green, leafy holiday place without the deprivation that you see in some inner cities. But that's not right, is it? And Wendy, I wonder if you can tell us why Bridgewater and, and what's different about Bridgewater that's made you cite the project there? Ah, now, Emma can answer that better than I, probably. Um, it's one of the core 20 plus five, isn't it, Emma? And it is the one of the biggest killers in the country, especially in Bridgewater. Um can you give a bit more background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm happy to help. So um, so we, we chose Bridgewater because actually when we look on a map of Bridgewater, we know that um, I've, I've got the figures to hand here, but nationally, 1.9% of our population have COPD. And when we look at a place like Bridgewater, 3.3% of the population in Bridgewater have, have COPD. So that's almost like three, three times higher than the national population. And um, Bridgewater on a map for us comes up as an area that has a much higher prevalence of health inequalities. So actually for us, it was the perfect, it was a perfect combination to choose as an area to work with in terms of having a higher number of people, percentage of people with COPD and an area where we have some challenges around um, health inequalities. Hence, that's how the project um, was chosen and started. And the obvious question is, is why that's the case? Is it because uh, more people smoke in Bridgewater? Is it because of working conditions and they worked in, in dusty factories? Or do we know why? Oh, well, we'll end to be able to probably tell you about the current picture. But actually, I was interesting because I went to school not far from Bridgewater back in the 80s. And actually, Bridgewater is a really interesting town. It was it's a it's it's obviously a market town. And actually, it did have they, the factories closed in the 1990s. Um, it actually had the Royal Ordnance Factory there. They used to make um, ammunition, massive vats of sulfuric acid. I remember going there on a school chemistry visit, really, and um, obviously, clearly quite a lot of fumes. It also had um, British cellophane um, uh, at Bridgewater. Some of those big industrial businesses actually closed. And I know Wendy's actually speaking to people who worked in those 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 um, industries, and I'm sure some of it is has been occupational in terms of um, COPD or respiratory problems. Um, but also, we know that when we've looked at the um, data, we know for those people that have a diagnosis of, of COPD in Bridgewater, only about half of them tend to um, access their GP practice for their annual annual check. I remember the smell of the cellophane factory as we used to drive through. But we've already said the COPD is not curable. In fact, it's progressive. So 
What does your project do to help people with COPD? What practical things can you offer? Sometimes a month for a free tea and coffee at Victoria Park Community Centre. Um, we're also looking at setting up a, a focus group session on November the 2nd. We'd like to invite people along to that. I can send you the link for that. So if you like to use it, which would be great. And um, we're doing various things and trying to signpost people to cease, stop smoking, um, going to the gym, maybe doing little bits. I'm a COPD sufferer myself. So I know the good days and the bad days. And sometimes for some of us, because we're of an age, other health issues take over and the COPD becomes just secondary. It's nothing major to us. It's only when we bend down or we move that we get the breathless thing. And sometimes being a sufferer, I feel it, but I don't always hear myself. My husband goes, are you OK? Do you need your inhaler? And it's making sure that people who have COPD or respiratory issues are attending their clinic, whether it's six monthly or yearly, getting their flu jabs, getting their COVID jabs and all those things. But also it's about self-help. What can you do to help yourself? And that's the focus of the drop-ins, how people can talk to each other and find out how we can help ourselves. Some of us have some useful tips. I still use my weights, my arm weights, to on a morning when I'm suffering. My test, chest is tight, so I use my weights. And that helps me open up the muscles, helps me breathe a little bit better. Won't cure it as we know, but it helps. Interesting. Emma, I think you had some comments you wanted to come in with there. Yeah, I just I just thought of what was what was useful to mention um, for this is actually this is a very different way that we're reaching out to the community in Bridgewater. So we know that um, people with COPD probably will receive a text message or a letter inviting them to their annual check. But actually, um, the beauty of this project is actually really reaching out to the community through Wendy, getting to know, developing networks. And we know that there will be lots of barriers in the way about we, why people perhaps don't, don't attend their GP practice. They may be on a zero hours contract, don't want to take the time up from work, for example. So part of the beauty of the project is actually trying to find out what some of those barriers are mm -hmm. about why people may not be engaging with a smoking cessation um, offer or um, or not getting the help that they could get around um, management of their of their COPD. So it's a really really community based project. Um, you know, working with hair, local hairdressers, local shops, local businesses, developing that network, and just getting out and talking to people um, with COPD and and creating those kind of networks, joining them up with somebody who may be kind of managing their condition really well. Um, uh, some of that kind of peer support um, as well. So it's quite a different way, I suppose, a non-professional way of reaching out to people with um, with COPD. That's really interesting. So it's grassroots rather than um, imposed from above. And so, Wendy, um, you've hinted at some, uh, um, Emma hinted at some barriers, and, and Wendy, you've had your focus groups. I'd just like to know what barriers people are are finding to to accessing help or care or advice or helping themselves and what tips you're sharing because it sounds like there's some rich rich information here well a couple of our people who attend the drop-in sessions do walking groups 
And when I say walking, it's walking at their pace, not a route march, just a general walk. And some of these people with quite bad COPD are doing up to 25 miles a week, over the week or over a fortnight. So it's helping themselves. But it's not just helping the COPD, it's helping the whole body, mind. They're having a little stop for a coffee, a little chat. And they're taking their time. So little things like that. The barriers, um, accessibility to things. Um, can I get into my doctor? Can I do this? Yes, it takes time. We do understand that. But also since COVID, I'm speaking to people who are still scared about coming out. They're scared about catching things even going for their flu and COVID jabs, or even just general checkup, they are worried about coming out. And no matter how much you tell them, if you're safe or you're scared, just wear your mask, wash your hands, do all those things we were doing through COVID, you should be okay. I have to say, touch wood, I've had my flu jab, I've had my COVID jab. And the COVID jab, I didn't feel at all which is great, and neither did I feel the flu jab, if I'm honest, but the, it's amazing. People, they don't like to travel, and if the, the COVID jab or the flu jab is a little bit further than they've been to in the past, that stops them because they don't know how to get there or they're worried about how to get there. Um, so it's little things that are actually very big things to other people. And I think it's really important that those of us trying to set up services to help people listen to those voices from the ground, uh, because we yeah. probably wouldn't think of something as, as simple and practical as as making things accessible and easy to travel to. So that that's really great to hear. And hopefully, Emma, you're able to pick that up and take that back into the system and mm. make sure that for other conditions other than COPD, uh, we try and make things as accessible as possible. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. So um, obviously we're kind of six, well, just coming up to six, seven months into the project. It's going to run until June 2024. And we've kind of built in a what we call a, an evaluation. So we're going to look at some of those kind of successes for the project and did we did we achieve them. But I think the model, absolutely, I can see could be applied to lots of other long-term conditions for example people with diabetes people with asthma um i think yeah we know that um um an area i've previously worked with, we called it strengthening local communities i think that kind of community approach is is a is a really uh, different different way and one often that will last quite a long time as well um there was something else i was going to um to mention and i think we know don't we that if people are engaging in an activity, whether it's walking, actually it can have a whole positive benefit on their well-being as well. And I think one of the things that Wendy and I have talked about it, and I think through this podcast and people listening, that if there is an appetite and people live in Bridgewater with a respiratory condition or with COPD, I've seen some real successes um, with working with the voluntary community sector to set up a sing singing for breathing um class and we're just thinking about kind of christmas coming up as well and actually if there are people that are listening to the, this podcast and would like to take part in something like that that is something through wendy through us in the nhs in somerset could help to kind of create for the community in bridgewater 
I think that sounds great. Uh, we know about singing for the brain, but singing for breathing sounds sounds great. And I, I love this. We're, we're trying to do this in Somerset a lot in mental health and dementia and other fields that I'm involved with, where we use the voluntary sector. We use peer support. We do things from the ground up rather than imposing it top down. Do you find that's a, a something that works for you, Wendy, and works for your friends and colleagues? Coming from an education background, yes. I spent the last 20 odd years in education. This has, it reaches better within the community when it's your health. Um, you listen to people who have similar symptoms or the same symptoms because they know exactly how you feel, how you're managing to breathe, how you manage to do things. So, yes, I think that is the better route. I've already got three community connectors. I'm looking for some more. So if anybody's interested in volunteering, I will happily talk to anybody who would like to get involved with that. But also I'm interested in people's case studies, whether you suffer with COPD or if you care for somebody with COPD and you'd like to talk to me and tell me your story. That would be great. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll put the details on the show notes at the end. Emma, you wanted to comment. Oh, I was just going to ask Wendy, actually, in doing an interview with um, is actually, Wendy, do you want to explain what a community connector is? Because everybody um, might not know what a community connector is. And there might be some people who listen to the podcast that are interested in being one. Okay, they're just like you and I, your next door neighbour, your best friend, your family friend, your auntie, uncle, whatever. Somebody who talks to anybody and everybody and encourages them if they know they've got a health condition. Well, have you done this? Have you seen this? Have you been for your jabs? Have you been to your checkup? And it's spreading that word about making sure people are doing things, making sure you show them that you care, that you're there should they need the support or somebody just to chat to while I'm a bit scared about going for jabs. It's okay. It's yeah. a voluntary role as well, isn't it? So it is a voluntary um, role. And, and we've had quite a few community con uh, connectors of various sorts on, on the podcast, and they all do a fantastic job in different areas. So delighted yes. to hear that. It, there's something we haven't discussed yet, which it might be worth just touching on, uh, that we know can help people with COPD, and that's breathing exercises. And I guess you're doing that informally through walking or singing. But do you, do you have access to, to breathing exercises through this course is that something that you do or do people have to go through their gp for that would have to go through the gp because then they can be referred to the pulmonary clinic rehab clinic which i recommend if anybody gets the chance to do it to do it i've done them in the past and it's helped me enormously to understand myself and my breathing and techniques um, it's little changes that make the big difference like the weights um, not being afraid. I'm very interested in that. And you've been helped by pulmonary rehab yourself. Was that in a group situation or was that individually? That was in a group situation. Mine was done. I did mine in Gloucester yes. um, because I lived there at the time. And it was, I think there was about 12 of us, believe it or not. And it was for a six week session once a week. And it was brilliant. I learned what foods could help me, what exercises could help me. 
Um, I don't do all the exercises. I do the weights because it's easy and I can sit on the side of the bed, pick them up and just do them before I go to bed or when I get up. So it's things like that. And sounds really stupid, but my happy food is chili con carne. And I'll eat that from morning, noon and night, seven days a week, because it releases happy endorphins in my brain. And I know when that happens, I'm relaxed. My breathing is not so catched. I'm not snapping at a breath, if you understand. As a doctor, you might understand. So it's little things like that. And I always try and find out if people have favourite foods. Yes. And I'm going to put you on the spot. Why can't we as an ICB get physios to go along to the, the groups that Wendy's saw setting up uh, to give pulmonary rehab there rather than having to go to Gloucester? We have one in Webdon. There's a pulmonary rehab clinic run by Bach in Webdon. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. And thinking about feelings as well and morale, because, uh, you know, feeling happy or feeling confident is so important. It's great to hear mm -hmm. that some people are walking up to 25 miles a week and that's yes. out and around and about. And there, Victoria Park, of course, is a park and it's very pretty. And elsewhere in Somerset, if it's if one's able to get access to it, there is lots of lovely countryside parks and nature and fresh air seems to be uplifting to the soul and uplifting to the morale and so often when we feel down with our health condition whether it's copd or whether it's arthritis or or something else that stops us moving as much as we like we end up if we're not careful in a sort of spiral of staying indoors not getting out feeling a bit miserable not wanting to go out feeling a bit more miserable not going out and um what would you say, Wendy, to anybody who finds themselves in that spiral? Give me a call. Give I a will call. talk to you, help you find your happy place, maybe come up with some suggestions for you. We're all such individuals and we find things quite stressful, in it, especially in this day and age with the cost of living, etc. I mean, that's the beauty of the drop-in sessions. We've got one tomorrow, Victor Victoria Park. So if you want a free cup of tea, a cup of coffee and a smiley face, come and see me. We've got some wonderful people who attend. Um, I'm happy to talk to anybody if they feel a bit upset or they're a bit down or don't know where to turn. I don't have all the answers, but I can give you some suggestions. And Emma, you wanted to come in. Oh, and I was just sort of thinking almost on a kind of a note, looking out the window and the leaves are turning brown, aren't they? And winter feels, autumn and winter feel like it's definitely coming. So we also know that thinking about this winter, the cost of living, the cost of keeping your house warm and having COPD, that actually the impact can be quite significant if, you, if you're cold. And um, so obviously, again, through Wendy and kind of the contacts that she has, we Wendy has a list of all the places in Bridgewater and the surrounding areas that you can go to keep warm, you know, kind of during the day daytime. And obviously the group that um, that Wendy runs at Victoria Park is also a way of kind of keeping warm and having a cup of coffee. So I just kind of wanted to kind of reach out to people as well that are worried about keeping their houses warm and have COPD is um, you know, Wendy can put people in touch with um, resources that are available to help keep them warm coming into this winter. And is this approach something that we're hoping to do in other areas 
of Somerset and, and other conditions? Is it something you'd like to see spring up in, in other places? So, so for this particular project, Peter, we're what's called an early early accelerator site. Um, we um, in Somerset, and we um, so the core twenty plus is a chosen uh, area for five five different things. COPD is just one of them, um, and um, I think the idea is is if the projects are successful not only in Somerset but also elsewhere in the country then I think there is a plan to what we call adopt and spread. Um, and, you know, it's a very, very cost effective model as well. So actually, if this project is successful, then absolutely. And we can demonstrate that we've helped to uh, improve people's health and well-being, help to reduce some people, help them stop smoking and um, take up their COVID and their flu vaccination. And absolutely, there's no reason why this model couldn't be kind of adopted and applied to other parts of Somerset, but also to some other um, kind of long-term conditions as well. Fantastic. I think that's absolutely the way to go. And it uh, it's cost-effective, yes, but perhaps more importantly, it's putting people back in charge of, of their own health and their conditions and giving them power. Mm. Andrew, do you want to wrap up for us? Well, just to say what a fascinating conversation, what a fascinating discussion. Great to hear the work you're doing uh, in Bridgewater, Wendy, and Emma, that you were able to help commission this. There'll be some show notes to show all about uh, how to access the resources and information that Wendy's been sharing. And just thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, David, everybody for organising and uh, contributing to this podcast. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Go well on your day forwards. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. The show was hosted by our team of doctors, including Dr. Andrew Tresider, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, and Dr. Sarah Coop. The show was produced by Rob Holmes Music on behalf of the NHS Somerset Integrated Care Board.